Jeremy, how do you reach out to someone that you care about? Do you do you text them? Do you send them a meme or a video you found online? Do you like comment on their content on social media? Do you send a voice memo? Do you like video message them on Marco Polo? Or are you a complete psychopath and you call them on the phone? Well, definitely never the last one. Are you crazy? <laughs> wow, gross. Make a phone call. How do you even do that? I'll do all of the other ones. Also, it makes me think about the times you have to call somebody and you don't have your phone and you're like, God, what's their phone number? I don't even know what their area code is. <laughs> well, I mean, I think what I'm trying to get at here, you know, how do we connect with the people that we care about? How do we choose to do that in a digital world? And especially in a, I don't even want to use the words post pandemic world because, or whatever, you know, post COVID world where we've probably been really isolated from each other for such a long time. And now we're trying to get back into reconnecting because I think we need it, right? We do. Our health is dependent. Our longevity is dependent upon human connection. So we better learn how to connect with people. Otherwise, we're not going to live as long of lives. Yeah. Or, or as happy of lives or fulfilled as lives. And, and I, I want to I talk a little bit about, um, in our cold open here, about American psychologists and a couple Doctors John and Julie Gottman. So they devoted much of their career studying marital stability and divorce prediction. Um, they talked about the Gottman's uh, bids for connection. This is a study in 1990. So here's the example. You've got a couple out on a walk. One partner is really into bird watching and they exclaim to their other partner, oh, look at that beautiful bird. So this bid for connection is not just a statement. It's a request for engagement. They're looking for a sign of interest or support. And so the other partner has a choice. They can turn away or they can turn toward this bid, meaning they can accept the bid for engagement or alternatively brush it off or minimize it or in the, you know, in the worst case, ignore it or worst, worst case, become hostile or annoyed. So in the six year follow up, the divorced couples had 33% of turn toward bids versus 87% of couples that were still together. So the more that people responded to seeing the bird and caring about the bird, even if you didn't really care about the bird, um, were more likely to stay together. So I think this really applies to non-romantic relationships and friendships as well. What do you think? I'm still trying to figure out, am I supposed to say I will, I'm interested in the bird or I'm not interested in the bird? Or do I just need to acknowledge the bird? Yes. You have to acknowledge that your partner wants you to acknowledge that you care about the bird. I want you, don't you even to, have to want care about the bird. to like the bird. Yeah, exactly. Or at least want you to say like, oh, that's a cool bird, as opposed to like, what? What are you talking about? What do you want? <sighs> Shut up. You know, that's the point. So we'll talk about it more. All right. I'll stop detracting from it. Yes, I think this applies to all relationships and birds. <laughs> Here's a little bit more research and then we'll get into uh, our, our intro here. Um there's research published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. It takes about at least 200 hours of time spent with a person to consider them a close friend. So Robin Dunbar, who was a PhD in, uh, from Oxford, uh, PhD in evolutionary psychology, posits that we can maintain about 150 relationships at a time, and they're organized by levels of intimacy. You have room for about five best friends, about 15 very good friends, and then about 50 casual friends. And then beyond that, they call that yard barbecue friends. <laughs> Just like people that meander in and out of your life. I have this really hard time imagining that people in Oxford call it yard barbecue friends. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they have a different... Is Robin Dunbar there. from Oklahoma but studied in Oxford? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
so also the pandemic has made person to person interaction and connection a lot more difficult. So socializing again after two or three years of relative isolation may not be as effortless as it once was, and it can leave us feeling very exhausted after these experiences. So I think what I'm getting at now is how can we recognize if we're becoming isolated from those we care about and what can we do about it? How can we notice the bird, Jeremy? It's an awesome question. I want to know how I can notice the bird. I want, I want to learn how to turn towards the bird. Exactly. Or turn towards your partner or your friend that cares about the bird. So to continue Even our series. Better. Yeah. <laughs> to continue our series on resolutions today, let's talk about how we can feel empowered to reconnect with the important people in our lives. How can we make realistic resolutions and attainable goals? So fortunately, our guest today is an educator with special training in deep diving into our relationships and partnerships to here to help us understand more. I'm so excited. This is her second time. Oh, I'm pumped. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. Hey, Jeremy, it's Valentine's Day. Oh, shit. I didn't get anything from the wife. <laughs> So, Jeremy, I'm so excited to welcome back Laura Danger. Laura is a licensed educator, advocate, and coach. Thank you so much for being with us again. I'm so excited to be here. 10 out of 10. All the episodes have been great. <laughs> well, your soul. now we know why we invited Laura back. Also, uh, I can't believe in the bio it doesn't say anything about she of the infamous bitchy walk. Oh my gosh, my bitchy walk partner for life, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm so excited that you all thought of me for this topic. Um, and I know, as you said, like I have a, I have a background in education and I've been working with couples for the last, I don't know, a couple of years now, specifically in adult education. Um, but a lot of my work up to that point has been personally and in my own community, like learning how to connect with people and become a part of my neighborhood. And it's always been kind of challenging to reach out or especially as an adult now with kids, like, or, or just an adult and <laughs> with a job right. to find time. It's really hard. And so I think about it all the time. Laura, you're a fair play facilitator who teaches and coaches individuals and partners on how to enrich and deepen their connections. So, you know, we've talked on our on our last episode with you about sharing the mental load, the division of labor, the intentional cultivation of connection. So to kind of piggyback on what you just said, give us some insight on your familiarity with breakdowns and connection. Um, so I love the example of the bird. Um, mm -hmm. the, the Gottmans also have this awesome video that is, you know, anyone can find where they give the this really, really good example. Anybody who's ever argued about the laundry or dishes or household stuff knows this this very often where someone's like, can you please just come here and help me? And then the other person might be like, I have 20 other things to do right now. Is it, can, does, can it wait? Like, seriously? That is a break right there. It's one person turning away. It it can be such a subtle thing. And of course, like I'm a partnered person. 
I have done this plenty of times. Like I have a laundry list of things to do. Can you please not bother me right now? Yeah. Those things are turning away. Another one is like, if being excited to show your partner something and they're in, they're in their phone, like distracted or won't look up from their phone. It's very complex, but I think about it all the time and I see it in specifically in the people that I work with. Um, I think a really good sign is when one person says, Hey, I want to sign up for this fair play thing. I, I want to learn how to come together and communicate about this. And the other partner's like, yeah, we've really had a communication breakdown. Like, let's figure out how to talk about this. And that's turning toward, and that's, that's mutual investment in success. So I do, I see that a lot. Well, like, what are the symptoms of this breakdown in in connection? And some that I thought of were things like compassion fatigue, irritability, cynicism, withdrawal, loss of your sense of yourself, um, just resentment in general, or really what it sounds like the Gottman's worst, like the culprit, the worst thing. And what is the relationship killer is contempt. And how do we, Mm -hmm. how do we recognize these symptoms before they turn into, I have contempt for my friend, for my partner, for my important person in my life. I'm, I'm really curious about this because every time this topic comes up for me, it's almost always tied back to me breaking my own boundary. And the word I can think of is resigned. And I know for, for me specifically, the way that I got into a dynamic that felt unequal in my partnership was after having a baby feeling slowly, like I had taken on more and we were in such a, it's like so chaotic Mm -hmm. that it was harder for me to take the minute to be like, okay, here's what I just learned about how to put the baby down in this phase. Cause it changes so quickly. I would be like, I don't know, just do something else while I do this. And we got into this dynamic of just being like resigned. Like this is what it is for now. And I think as a lot of the work that I do, not just fair play related, but is pointing out the many ways that we get this message that that's normal. It's just kind of normal to like, it's fine. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll take that. I'll do a little bit more to pick up the slack, be easier for me to do it. And in friendship, tolerating things without expressing like, oh, you know what? That didn't feel great. Or, hey, when I called you, I was really looking for some support. I get it. If you're busy, could we talk about it later? Like, I'm really guilty of not speaking it out loud, not even telling anyone I had a boundary or a problem because like, that's what I thought was normal. Yeah. Like, I just kind of thought that's what adulthood was or how I was supposed to act. I mean, hearing what has been set up to this point, I think my mind went to a lot of times when we think of breakdowns in communication or relationships, maybe even a little bit deeper than that, whether it be a romantic relationship, a, a marriage or a friendship, we think of the most extreme kind of blow up. We think of somebody yelling at somebody else or there's a fight or, you know, somebody storming off. And clearly that relationship is in trouble. Um, and I think what you have highlighted maybe in the first few minutes of this episode is that much of the actual breakdowns in our connection, or maybe even on a more glass half full kind of perspective, things that lead to better connection are the simple day-to-day conversations and the simple day-to-day tasks. And maybe 
those are the pinnacle of a lot of little tiny paper cuts. Um, and yeah. so I guess my question to you, having now absorbed all that is, what are some of the things when you're talking to people or when you're really breaking down relationships or connection that show up as big, obvious examples of barriers to people connecting? You've already brought up one. I think it's the phone or technology. You know, I think people are frequently kind of diving into those, but are there some other things that kind of show up for you? At least in the work that I do, and I guess as my experience internally has been work. Yeah. Like it's so easy to dive in, even when you're stressed, like this is something I do, even when I'm stressed being like, I have no control over life. So I'm just going to take on more work real quick. Um, and in general, as a society, we tend to value or protect paid time over unpaid time. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure Julie, like Julie and I probably the last couple of weeks, it's been really cold, but also I haven't even reached out because it's, I am drowning. I've taken on a ton of projects. So if you are like, even today you texted me and I was like, I don't like, I have a, uh, I kind of am drowning right now and I have a lot of stuff to do, but more than anything, I would like to do yoga, candlelight yoga. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to, it's easy to deprioritize. Um, and so I think that very often it's especially in these these romantic partnerships or if there's one spouse who's home in their full-time job is the house or childcare and then socially we just don't treat that as valuable and so they try people two people try to have a conversation about it and they're fighting against this like okay but yeah i work really hard and i get paid for that so shouldn't i have a rest when i'm home and it's you're like battling up against this internal thing where it's like, oh no, this time is more important without recognizing, here's my thing. We made this all up. The whole thing, <laughs> it's the whole thing is made up. All of society is made up. We get to decide what's important. And if you have no relationships, what do you have? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> you're isolated. You're you said it before, your time is finite. Mm -hmm. You said the word energy and it's the, that word has come into my head like five times already since listening to this is thinking about energy because I think about the times where I struggle to reach out to connect and I think to myself, I just don't have the energy for it right yeah. now. And again, it's like, it's not that that relationship on the other side of that connection is not important to me. I mean, I'm whether it be like I need to make a phone call to somebody I haven't talked in a long time to or I feel like we probably should be going to visit so-and-so. I just, I just don't have the energy. I frequently try to make phone calls to people who are not local, who I want to stay connected to while I'm in the car, because mm -hmm. that's time that's already, in my opinion, not productive. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is when I'm going to call people. It's also when I like to listen to podcasts or just kind of like wind down for the day. And so I'm, I'm in this prioritization mode of like, what's the most important to me? And a lot of times it's, I just don't have the energy to deal with a phone call right now. Another example would be is when somebody calls me and it comes across and we get the caller ID, I could answer, but also like I'm in the middle of something kind of, or like I'm with my family, but I'm also like, I'm just tired and I just don't really want to like have to put the effort towards like connecting. So energy really stood out to me from what we've talked about so far. Yeah. You were yeah. just like, that's unproductive time. I shall fill it, which is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You don't have to always be productive. 
But I don't know. That's the nuance there, right? Is like connection and rest are also productive. So if we redefine what that means, there's something there. Are you going to talk about laziness does not exist, uh, Laura? I I pulled from my bookshelf. No, I was going to bring up uh, this book. It's life-changing. My favorite book in the world. It's called How We Show Up. We read it um, like maybe a month into the a month or two in the pandemic and my husband read it too and prior to the pandemic we we loved having people over we'd have people in the backyard and we'd go out with people we, we were just very social and yeah it was really hard um it wasn't it was hard to admit to to myself how much I missed people I don't know why but I was like I read this book And she talks so explicitly about the value of connecting with people and the many, many different ways you can connect with people. I just remember like crying my eyes out because she gave permission and something so internalized in me was like, no, I should be really independent. Like friendship and connection is just sort of like a supplement. Like it's a a side thing. And Jeremy, as you were saying that I pulled the book because Mia Birdsong talks about the levels of friendship. And she has a small segment of friends where they have a key to the house. They know they can come over at any time and eat spaghetti. They don't have to say a word. They can sit on the couch. There's this intimacy of not having to hide when you are tired and you can be really honest. And that was like, oh, I wish, like, I want to have that. I think this gets really back at Jeremy's question, which was, what are the barriers? And we talked about boundaries, chaotic times in our lives, like when you just had a baby, work, um, and I think physical distance. And and you're right, like it's it's your key to the house friends. It's your, I can rummage your cabinet friends. And I think that we can't lose those people and we may have lost them or they were farther away physically from us during the pandemic. I think as you're saying that something came to mind, I know in my own experience and in so many of the, the people that I talk to and work with, the turning away repeatedly causes them to stop asking and stop making those bids for connection. Mm-hmm. And so, so repeated rejections over and over again, like you said, Jeremy, these uh, paper cuts, death by paper cuts. We, um, we, we kind of titled the episode around you know, how do I reconnect? But when I think about reconnection and I think about it in context of where we currently are, I think it's impossible to ignore the pandemic for obvious reasons. I also think it's impossible to ignore technology for obvious reasons. I think it's pretty evident at this point that loneliness and isolation can probably be described as symptoms of something being wrong. Yeah. And so I think that if somebody is showing signs of being you know, lonely or becoming more isolated, that that is a, an opportunity for somebody to check in and figure out if everything is okay. I think what I would follow that up with is how do we respond to people that say, I'm an introvert and I just prefer to be by myself? I think it's probably a, a personality type, quote unquote, but I think it's probably more of a state of mind. There are, there are times in my life and day that I am an introvert, that I do absolutely do not want to interact with anybody at all. I mean, mean, sometimes not even Adam, and you know, he's like the most important person in my entire life, like get out. And I think really what you're asking and I, uh, my interpretation of your question is 
that introversion is your unicorn space. And I would love for Laura to explain the concept behind unicorn space. I know we've talked about it before, but I think that like, I want to do the thing that's just for me right now, maybe a, a, a cup that needs to be filled. And what we're calling introversion is really maybe a little bit of that, but that's me spitballing. Yeah. So the, the term unicorn space, um, comes from the Eve, from Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play. She wrote a whole book on unicorn space, but it's essentially, you know, like a creative pursuit or a cup filling, fulfilling, productive experience that is not about you as a partner or parent or professional. It's like, if you've seen the movie Soul, like what, what do you get lost in? What's your like flow zone? And I totally agree. Like, um, it sucks that we're in a space where like, you know, your unicorn space might be tuning out when you go between home and work like that. That's not quality necessarily, but, um, I spent a summer where I just like rode my bike and listened to audiobooks multiple times a week, which was great. Um, but I feel like I spent a lot of the time up to when we went down into quarantine being like, I like seeing my friends, but like most of the time I'd rather be alone. And then I got, then I had to be alone and I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much I missed actually connecting. Yeah. I think the introversion, like if I was interpreting it, I would think to myself when we talked about the 150 relationships you can have, the introvert, in my opinion, probably has few really good relationships, but probably doesn't have the, you know, the hundred or doesn't care for the hundred non-close ones versus the extrovert, maybe the other way around. But ultimately, I think both require human connection for mental health and well-being and and overall physical health. So I, I think that my response would be is not so much that doesn't mean you don't like human connection. It just means that you treasure smaller interaction or more personal interaction. I think this is a perfect place to transition into let's answer the question of, okay, well, how how do we do that? Okay, we talked about, we had a great conversation here. It was very productive. It was very cerebral, but let's talk about actionable steps. So there was a really great Washington Post article from September 2021 that outlined some recommendations for reconnection. And I I loved it. And I'm going to share their recommendations. The first was to change your perspective. So try not to dread the happy hour or the coffee meetup. Don't poison the well of the potential fun or connection. I think we can all relate to that of making a plan when you're in a really good mood is the opposite. And then you're like, oh, God, no, this thing, I don't want to do the bitchy walk. I was just in the middle of working on my puzzle, you know. <laughs> it even harkens back to the exercise episode of just trying to like the first step is actually just doing it, which can be the hardest part. Right. Yeah. So, you know, kind of I can even think to myself of like something I do every Sunday as I go to basketball and sometimes like towards the end of the week, I think to myself, like, I kind of just want some extra sleep. Yeah. Like I just... And that's okay too. Like you don't, if you, if your body is telling you that, then get the extra sleep. But I like the concept of put the shoes by the door and then think about but it. I always again enjoy it, Julie. Shoes. I never regret yeah, it when I'm done I with it. I, I, I love know. it. I really do. And again, I think the concept is, is when we're thinking about it in the future, sometimes we can dread it. So I like that first one. Yeah. The second one was be choosy. You don't need to reach out to every single person all at once. You know, reach out to your Laura and be like, let's do a bitchy walk as opposed to your uncle 
and let's have a talk mm-hmm. about vaccines <laughs> or yeah, something, no, you know? Like, thank you. Nope. I suck at I suck at this one, the be cheesy yeah, one. Hard. This is it's this hard. is probably my weakest one um, because I I I'm extroverted, so I I have a lot of I have a hard time. I don't want to say like giving up relationships, but I like mm. to think that the ones that were strong before are always going to be strong and the new ones I make are strong. And so then I have to have a ton of strong relationships and it's just not possible as we've established in this episode. And so I feel bad about the ones that maybe are kind of fizzling at the end mm-hmm. instead of kind of maybe changing my perspective to like they serve their purpose at their time. Yeah. And I grew as the person that I was and that it's not personal and it's not like the scene out of the banshees from in a and if anybody's seen that movie yep. where they basically like ends ends a friendship abruptly yeah. for no reason so i i think i be choosy is a great piece of advice yeah. for me thank you julie i think yeah you you've marie condoed your relationships <laughs> with people i think that's great but uh, for me as someone who has a hard time with impulsivity and uh and distractions sometimes the be choosy is like well this one's in front of your face right now so do that one do that one. It's right there. You can look at it. It's right there. Like that's me. <laughs> I'm a. I think what's dog. cool about that though is like, anytime I get together with them, it's like n- no time was missed. Yeah. We're both like, oh, I forgot you were alive for months, yeah. and now now we're sharing space. I'm tell me all of the things that happened. Let's get right back to it. All right. The next one was build a routine. So that's kind of like what you were talking about with Laura. You're, you're in real time stuff, your discord, your book club. So book club, exercise class, weekly phone call, bitchy walk, you know, m- build it into a thing that you can practice doing. So then it just becomes part of the routine, which I thought was a great tip. The next one was make the time meaningful, which I thought was a great way of putting it. But their point was like, do a novel experience. That's when mm-hmm. it is like Jeremy tried to get, to get everybody together um, to do uh, a, like a, a What's it called? Where you break out of the room. Escape room. Yeah, the escape room thing. Like, I think that sounds really fun. I would do that, you know. But again, it's still also hard to do the first thing where you change your perspective of like, oh, here's the thing I got to do after work with the people I work with. Like, I get it, you know. But do a new thing. Go to a new place. Watch a different weird horror movie together. Like, do that thing. You know, let's play on event-based television again. Let's all watch Ted Lasso. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wait. Julie, were you, and it's been so long since this happened. You were a part of this, right? Uh, Ages ago in my early twenties, we watched Lost. Yes. Did you watch? I think I might have been to like one Lost night. Yes. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. a whole, we got together every single week and I think it Mm -hmm. was like the days of TiVo, but so like you kind of did have to be there at the time to like watch it unless somebody had TiVo but we'd meet every single week and um one person would cook and then everyone Mm -hmm. would circle up and watch Lost and then once Lost ended we started doing this thing called show and tell Mm -hmm. and I've been dying to get this back together but you would bring like your favorite movie and then Mm -hmm. give everybody a theme and it would be a clue as to what you were about to watch so I think we did one where it was like it was kind of obvious what it was, but we were like seven deadly sins. And then it was a potluck and everybody had to bring a dish that represented one of the deadly sins. And then the movie was seven. Awesome. And we did all sorts of great things, awesome food. And it was just like the purpose was to do something together. Did somebody bring a box with Gwyneth Paltrow's head in it? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think somebody made a meatloaf. 
Someone made a meatloaf in a box. That's that's terrible. It reminds me of my sister, Becky, who's uh, in her mid-late 40s. Uh, They had a Seinfeld club when she was in high school. They would all get together and watch Seinfeld together. I feel like making the timing meaningful, everything that you guys brought up was in person. Mm -hmm. I feel like making Uh the time meaningful with people who are not local is very, very challenging. I think that's where I, again, I think I struggle the most because I just... I I don't have the time or energy these days to have that really good phone conversation with people that you don't talk to all the time. Mm-hmm. Most of my phone conversations are very directed. Like I needed to get a couple of questions answered and we got it yeah. and we got off the phone. And so I'm not advertising that as healthy. I'm advertising that as what is the reality. reality. Um, and so I think that brainstorming ways to try to make that more meaningful is is great i don't know if there's good solutions i mean something i remember when we did in the pandemic is we bought like jackbox games which were like you could play games yes. over like Zoom, right and like so that we we'd get like eight of us together and we'd play those games and it was fun and we'd laugh and it wasn't necessarily being like so how's you and your family doing what did yeah. you guys do last weekend oh okay let's go to the next person it's basically like icebreakers of like, like how are you and how are you and then you get to the end you're like this is terrible like it's just these are some of my really good friends and I just like, this is miserable. Well, that's what everybody um, so, hates about Zoom, right? Is that you don't yeah. have, t- you can't, you, like, I just talked over you. you. Like, I don't know how to not do that. And if we were all together, it wouldn't matter as much that I just talked over you. Obviously, we're recording right now. And so that just makes editing nightmares for Jeremy. But when you are making meaningful connections and having those 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 novel experiences, you need to, you need to be able to see everybody's butts. You, like, you need to be able to... Like you just do. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think you have to get very, very creative if the if your butts are not visible. Trademark yeah. that. I mean, on a hat. To your point, I feel like people are. We've all kind of brought this up multiple times, but there's there's this idea that there's a new normal. There are a lot of people in different situations. There are ways to find that connection. Not in the. It's still really hard in the winter in Chicago, but. <laughs> But there are ways to make it work. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that leads into the last Washington Post uh, recommendation was to think outward. And it's more uh, sort of what, Jeremy, what you were saying, when you are noticing the symptoms in your friends of isolation, it's how can you support your friend today? So Mm -hmm. really, the reciprocity of the friendship is the gift that keeps on giving. The reason it's that we care and that we want to be a part of these relationships is because it makes us feel good to give to. So I think that's one way to look at it is like, maybe that person needs me to connect to them. Maybe that person would really appreciate a dumb meme or a funny text or a Marco Polo because maybe they're going through some shit right now and they don't have a, a moment to not think about. They Maybe they're in survival mode and you reaching out a hand, you know, it's like the the mountain goat song. Sorry, it's going to make me cry. The one that I am drowning. There's no sign of land. And then the next part is you're coming down with me, hand an unlovable hand. But you can be that unlovable hand for somebody, you know. Jeez, I got myself there. <laughs> Laura, one of, the, one of the themes of our resolutions episodes, Julie, has been that the way to maintain them through the year is to make it attainable and it have small victories. Right. So if we're using that within this episode of trying to reconnect and maybe my 
resolution or my goal for 2023 is to maintain or reconnect in better ways with with people. I think taking the pressure off of having to have long or meaningful interactions and having small victories, such as things like video messages and Marco Polos and text messages and things that may not feel perfect. I'm, I'm really expressing my own feelings here because this is, I think this is me talking about what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Those may not feel exactly what I think needs to be done, but they're better than nothing. And they may be an on-ramp to something more. So you just have little birds. It's just little baby birds. That's all you need. Yeah. Laura, this makes me think of your intention that you gave us for the year when we asked you for your New Year's resolution and yours was depth. So Jeremy just said, I don't care how superficial it is. I want that connection. Give me counterpoint. Yeah. Um, I spent the last year throwing spaghetti at the wall, like really, really trying to just take tiny baby steps in many directions. Um, and I feel like I hit the ground running and now I'm like, it took, well, it didn't hit the ground running. It I had to warm up totally opposite. Um, but now I'm on this path where I want to be finding depth in the projects I do in the people that I connect with. Um, and yeah, so my, I think I want to be choosy. I want to make sure. And one thing that I I'm thinking about as I'm, as we're talking about this is like a couple of, I sometimes feel rejected early in a friendship where like, Hey, we enjoyed having a conversation or connecting over something briefly. And then it doesn't go anywhere. And realizing having the data behind that, I think so 100, 150 hours for like a close friend 200 right? or 200. 200. I think I made friends with this incredible female friendship coach. Um, and she said 50 hours to even make someone a friend like at all. And so it's helpful for me to know that data because now I'm like, oh, I only put like an hour in <laughs> like how am I supposed to expect that we have this bond or some loyalty or like we need to maintain this? You're great. Cool. I like you. Awesome. But we aren't in that flow zone together. So it gives me permission to be like, that's a fine thing, but it's yeah. not urgent or immediate or important yet. And it's okay to be choosy. So I'm going to let myself do that. So Laura... Tell us a bit more. I know we've talked about it briefly in the past and a little bit throughout this episode, but tell us a bit about fair play, how it relates to cultivating connection. How do you reach and teach people? So I think that a lot of the principles of fair play apply in any of our relationships. But so fair play is a a system, a method created by the author Eve Rodsky. And it's, it's basically just a set of communication tools. So a lot of times in couples, um, one person will become some manager or default and then delegate to the other person or even set the standard for the home and then tell someone else how to do it. And that feels crappy for everyone. And that's where we were talking about these bids for connection where it's like, Hey, help with the dishes. And you're like, can you not, (laughs) can you please not? So you get into this back and forth where you both feel rejected or put down or challenged. It doesn't feel good. So fair play sort of flips that on its head and says like, hey, let's take, let's break the house down into a hundred cards. Let's take one at a time and actually decide what it means 
to our family, to our life? How does it align with our values? So like if I moved in with someone else, my idea of clean is going to be different than their idea. And so a lot of times even roommates will move in together and be like, dude, you're a mess. And they're like, well, I, this is just how I do it. And you, you never actually take the time. Like no one taught me how to sit down and be like, this is, let's look up how often you're supposed to bleach the toilet. I don't know. Like maybe my parents did it this way, but were they right? No clue. So I, what I love about fair play is it's just a framework to have these conversations and kind of like, I'm not going to give you a manual on how to clean or what it means to stay in touch with in-laws or maintain adult relationships. Like these are all things you have to do in adulthood, but we don't talk about what it means. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important in maintaining connection because if, if you don't decide, it's so easy to have these, the, the death by paper cuts within it, where you're just continuously hitting up against the same issues without and one piece of feedback I hear very frequently is people are like this feels like a lot of communicating about something and they're like I don't want to put the effort into this huge system without acknowledging that almost every partnership is putting in like days of silent treatment boil over arguments Mm -hmm. like cyclical patterns of discomfort take that negative energy front load it and actually get your family on the same page. So that's basically what the fair play method is. It's a book. It's a book. I do workshops and coaching and stuff like that. But um, yeah, get it from your local library. Love it. And we'll link to a lot of this stuff in the show notes, Laura, and your website, thatdarnchat.com. And, you know, encourage folks to follow you on social media because your content is hot hot fire and is so helpful and it's it's little little nuggets like Thanks. the things we've talked about today that I think are really helping us to foster our connection with each other whether that's our our domestic partners or our friends or our weird uncles that um you know we're stuck with but let's let's all have a nice time while we're on this big blue orb together your talk of fair play reminded me of a, a game that's out there right now they're not apples to apples but it reminded me of it is there's a there's a game called we're not really strangers have you heard of this <laughs> no it's no. Cool. It's not re- it's not really a, i guess a game but it comes in like a box it kind of looks like a it's a card box and it has uh questions on it and the goal is you can play with two people or all the way up to six people but you do it with the uh somebody whether it be a friend or a partner or whatever and there's just prompts on there that says like you know my my most embarrassing moment in high school was and you and the person answers the question um and there's levels so like level one level two level three and the questions get a little deeper as you go on um it's a cool game it's that sounds uh, fun yeah it's fun it's 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 a fun game and obviously kind of like is that icebreaker for connection and also get people talking and stuff so i don't know it just kind of came to my head so we'll put that in the show notes we don't get any kickback (laughs) disclaimer i love it Yeah. yeah yeah Um, as has been the theme throughout all of the resolution episodes, if this resonated with you, find somebody maybe looks lonely and let them listen to this episode because reconnection is important, but we're, we're asking you to share it with somebody who means something to you. Um, it helps us grow our show, but also we think that our message hopefully helps people. So if you can deliver it to one person, do that. Well said friend. And to wrap up as we do every episode, 
this time I'm going to let someone else talk. Well, I'm going to talk, but I'm going to say their words. So let's let Bell Hooks finish the show. The quote is, love is an action, never simply a feeling. Listen to your doctor, friends. And happy Valentine's Day. And happy Valentine's, happy Valentine's Day. Day. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.